What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, and welcome to the Josh Marshall Podcast. This is David Tainter. We're here with another post-debate episode for you. I'm joined by Kate Riga and Josh Kavensky. How are you guys doing? Good. 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 So we literally just minutes ago finished watching the uh, vice presidential debate, the one and only. Uh, What are your first impressions? Kate, let's start with you. Well, I guess it was less exhausting than the presidential election. Um, But what, you know, my just kind of immediate reaction is that Pence was, you know, just as comfortable interrupting as Trump was last time. He was just less shouty and obnoxious about it. Um, You know, we still had kind of, he came to verbal blows with the moderator who did the whole reminding him, you know, your campaign agreed to this. Um, And as we kind of noted in our blog, I think the biggest point that Pence had to answer for, he just he just wouldn't answer the question. You know, he like he would drop that nugget of, oh, you know, Obamacare is horrible and we have a backup health care plan never to speak of it again. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think probably if you were if you were just watching from the perspective of after the first one, you would think it was kind of more high level and um, less stressful. But there was an awful lot of interrupting and, and dodging tonight. Yeah. Josh, since you cover the kind of Trump-Russia conspiracy world for us, tell us about the kind of end of the debate and this Pence conspiracy that he brought up at the very end that, I don't know, other you know listeners or casual viewers might have, I don't know, overlooked or, or might have flown under the radar a little bit. Yeah. I mean, at the end, Pence went into what's kind of at this point bog standard stuff for the right, which is alleging that uh, the Obama Justice Department mobilized an army of FBI agents to spy on the Trump campaign. Then once Trump was elected and you know the transition of power began, uh, used that investigation as a bid in a bid to like sabotage the uh, um, you know the then nascent Trump presidency. Um, I mean it was surprising, although at a certain point not so much because I think it just kind of speaks to how unmoored from reality that particular part of the right currently is. I think my takeaway in the rest of the debate was just that, like, it was sort of... There was a lot of whiplash coming from the one last week, uh, in part because the other one was so chaotic, and this one, at times, just felt like they were both sort of reciting elements of the party's platform or really just had their talking points down so well that it was, like, the kind of just most anodyne, uh, you know, statements that they could be offering on various positions that they had, which is fine, but uh, just the comparison between, you know, this debate and the debate last week was just so stark. Yeah, that's my big takeaway, too, basically, was that much more civil, I guess, and uh, Susan Page, the moderator, kind of implored that at the beginning, right, that after last week's shit show, she wanted a kind of civil and but lively debate. But, um, yeah, it was just kind of, I guess, other than Kamala Harris's pointed, you know, I'm speaking, Mr. Vice President, there weren't a lot of fireworks, right? Not a lot of kind of 
snappy clips that that I think will be played on cable news tomorrow. Other than that, really, Kate, did you think anything else jump out at you? Honestly, this debate just solidified my opinion that debates are like pretty useless. We've just seen, I just don't think you can fault the moderators at this point. You just can't force someone to answer a question when you've got, you know, 30 second increments and um, people who are pretty well versed in talking out of questions. So yeah, I mean, that then it kind of boils down to who's the better performer, you know, what's going to be the sound bite that's uh, circulated. And my money right now is it's going to be the Harris telling him to stop interrupting her, you know, because that's or the fly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should get to Um, that in a minute. Yeah. But yeah, because the, you know, that's kind of exciting and jarring and conflict. And it's also, you know, she would be the first female vice president and every single woman who watched that debate has had the experience of being, you know, talked over by a man. So, you know, it, it works on multiple levels. It's short, it's snappy. It'll be energizing for Biden people. Um, yeah, but absent that, I think Mike Pence is much more eloquent than Trump is. Um, but you know, he's got kind of the, the radio monotone, you know, it doesn't really make for, for fireworks. That's true. He is a former talk radio host. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he, he has that affect and I'm sure you're right, Kate, the, um, I'm talking, will become a t-shirt for the Biden campaign within minutes, I'm sure, right? I'm sure Um, they already bought up the domain and everything. (laughs) Yeah, so let's talk about the fly quick too, right? So (laughs) The black horse candidate. (laughs) (laughs) If viewers didn't notice, there was, at least for a couple minutes, a fly that was buzzing around and seemed to land on Vice President Pence's head on more than one occasion. It didn't seem like he particularly noticed, didn't swat it away, um you know, wasn't touching his face as we're all supposed to avoid in these COVID times. But, um, Josh, I know you were writing that up. What, um, I don't know, anything to say there (laughs) other than the obvious, Give us analysis on the fly. (laughs) It's it's not a very policy heavy, uh, point of the debate. I'll I'll say that. Right, Um, right, right. Right. I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it it was interesting to me that Pence just was completely oblivious. Um, and I think, you know, to kind of go off of what you guys were just saying, um, it, it's clear he has he has this background as a talk radio host, and this isn't really related to the fly. But I mean, th- th- there's just like so much smarm that comes off of him um, that really reminded me of the Republican Party, like in during the Bush administration, where they would just sort of like very calmly and in this like really monotone tell these like barefaced lies uh, or completely mischaracterize something, or as Pence did with the coronavirus uh, commentary tonight, where he defended you know the Rose Garden and also just basically the administration's handling of the virus. Uh, he cast it in terms of like freedom of choice, um, which I thought wasn't, besides being kind of a disingenuous defense of the administration's response to the virus, because it's, you know, the, the point of a virus is that there is no freedom of choice. You're going to catch it if other people aren't taking precautions. Um, it was very much a pre-Trump Republican Party talking point uh, of there being no other issue except for freedom and anything that you know, involves caring about other people or suggesting that something you do might have an effect on the world around you, um, you know, is a kind of egregious impingement on your freedom. Right. It was interesting. I mean, Pence is the head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, right? And we are now, what, seven to eight months into the pandemic. And here, the two candidates for vice president are debating with plexiglass between them. We have more than 210,000 
uh, Americans dead and no sign of slowing, basically. And so it's kind of like, how do you argue job well done when literally there are COVID, you know, mitigation I guess, methods on stage while you're debating. And one interesting so. thing rhetorically, I think, with that is that Pence, in the way he addressed that, he, he, he set up something very interesting, which is that he said that, look, you know, we had this crisis hit us in March in New York, New Jersey, Detroit, New Orleans. Um, then we had the Sun Belt, uh, you know, catastrophe with all these outbreaks there. And he said that, you know, in both the situations, Americans did the right thing. They were told what to do and they stood up to the challenge, etc. And then what Pence followed up with, he didn't follow it up with, and here we are today. We, he, he didn't follow it up with, and we have this, you know, coming winter or fall surge that we need to prevent. What he said was, and then a Supreme Court vacancy opened up and it was time to nominate Amy Coney Barrett and there was an outbreak at the Rose Garden. And I thought that was really interesting, actually, because not only did it cast it in terms of like, um, I mean, just like one chain of events, like, you know, this Amy Coney Barrett confirmation, like Rose Garden ceremony disaster is on the same level as like the Sun Belt. But I think to me, it was also like, you know, we had these outbreaks, at least in the Sun Belt, and to an extent, I think in New York City, in part because people uh, wanted to go about their lives. And as he said, continue with like, you know, continue with the work of the United States and then kind of deal with the consequences. But he framed what happened at the Rose Garden in exactly the same terms, which is that, you know, we need to continue with the work of the United States, in that case, uh, confirming a Supreme Court justice against kind of popular, the popular will. Um, and then we deal with the consequences afterwards, which are at this point dozens, maybe even hundreds of uh, infections sprouting from that one event. Right. Right. And kind Kate, of a continuation yeah, of, um, you know, Trumpian rhetoric on this point is it's all, you know, dominating the virus, armed with the tools of freedom and, you know, autonomy. And even if you say it in a gentler way, like Trump does, it kind of leads you back to the next item in that sequence is, and if you're someone who died of COVID, you lost the battle, you're a loser, which Trump says explicitly, but Pence is carrying through that same theme. Right. Kate, one more question for you, which is, you know, there was more focus on climate change during this debate. I can't even remember it coming up hardly at all in the in last week's debate, although with all the interruptions, it's sort of hard to remember the substance mm-hmm. of the debate itself. But, you know, what did you make of Pence's total dodge on whether climate change is an existential threat or just that part of the debate in general? Yeah, I mean, I tweeted to this effect, but to me, the refusal to accept climate change as an existential threat was the will you denounce white supremacy of this debate. And the only reason that it won't get covered as such is because climate change still does not rate the attention that it deserves. And, uh, you know, for some reason, the not denouncing white supremacy is seen as a lot more, you know, shocking than not accepting the science that has been, you know, solidified for ages. Every reasonable person knows it. Um, and, you know, it's just with, you know, with the background of the ashes of California, the fact that someone, our current vice president, who is vying for another four years, refuses to accept that climate change is an existential threat. You know, I know it's nothing new. I know he's a Republican, but that still should be shocking. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have today. As a reminder, the Josh Marshall podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew, iced coffee. I've definitely had some tonight. I don't know about you guys, but... um. They're doing a special election promo right now. You can get 25% off your order until election day with the promo code TPM at Grady'sColdBrew.com. Josh and Kate, thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye.